Ego Hour acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Good evening, everybody. I am Good Brother. And I'm Lil Silky. And welcome to Ego Hour, the show where we deliver objectively true film reviews. Start the time for me, Tom. Anything said over the next 60 minutes will stand up in a court of law and any argument you find yourself in with a film student. These reviews are non-negotiable, non-refundable and non-descript. So, let's talk about Relic. Released on the 10th of July, 2020, in Australia, Relic, also known by its Latin American release title, Four Bedrooms, Two Bathrooms and a Shit Ton of Corridors, is an Australian-made horror film. The story follows mother and daughter, Kay and Sam, as they attempt to find Kay's mother, Edna, after she goes missing. The film was co-written and directed by Natalie Erica James and is her first feature release. Released on the Stan streaming service, the film clocks in with a brisk 89-minute runtime. Okay. Um... So, before we get started, I just want to check in on how you're doing, Tom. How you going? Hey, girl. I know it's been a while, but I just need to ask you something. How you feeling? Girl, tell me how you feeling. I'm good. Uh, had some lovely weather this past few days, so that's really good. Um, it's nice. Feel, feeling the grind from uni. But, you know, ebbs and flows, and we'll, we'll get through it. How are you? Good. Bit knackered. We've postponed the, um, the pod till the Friday rather than the traditional Wednesday, so mm-hmm. my body's all it's out unpre- It's literally unprecedented. Um, but I'm good, yeah. Got mid-sems coming up, but that should be right. All right, let's get to it. Uh, I think we should just start with background with the film for both of us obviously it's a new film i watched it last saturday on stan how did you watch it i also watched it on australian streaming service stan which has a fantastic variety of content and uh some like of the best selections australian, of film. australian streaming service like the audience of this would be someone who wouldn't know what that was i watched this at the start of the week um, with my girlfriend, we settled down, turned out the lights, and were prepared to get spooked. But what ensued was what I guess I would describe as a non-conventional horror film. What say you, good brother? I similarly watched it with my girlfriend, turned the lights off, sat down, paused for a, the obligatory decaf halfway through the film. But other than that... Lovely. Yep. Yeah. You want to... You want to be watching a horror film, you want to be kept up at night, but definitely not because of the caffeine in the coffee that you had in the middle movie pause. Yeah, I know. I, I've heard that many of the great horror suspense thriller filmmakers have sworn by the benefits of decaffeinated coffee. I also want to address that when I watched this film, I was watching it in a full house. So I had to balance people in the back room with the lights on. Um, Parents appearing behind us suddenly 
with doors creaking and that sounds terrifying footsteps footsteps appearing so it was very it was an oral orally immersive experience basically great okay so what are your what do you want to start about the film what are your first impressions well i suppose i want to begin well i guess i want to talk just briefly a little more about what context i had going into this um so this film had generated a bit of buzz in my circles because one it's an australian film two um i'm in the australian film industry or aspiring to be so myself um and three, it got heavily promoted on Stan. Like, it has been one of their top banner things. And I guess that's noteworthy because Stan does push Australian content. And I think we should obviously... Oh, I think we should acknowledge that we probably watch this film because it is Australian, right? Yeah, I mean, it's good. We like to support that industry here on the show. Yeah. Um, I think what's noteworthy as well before we get stuck into it is the interesting group of producers for this film which i find pretty cool for an australian film yes so of course good brother is referring to the producer being jake gyllenhaal and the executive producer credits to anthony russo and joe russo the marvel brothers most notably known for their time on arrested development and community no doubt of course um, so I, like, I don't even know how this functions. I know that producers in a Hollywood sense, are people who back an idea, um, I briefly tried to look up what Jake Gyllenhaal had to do with it, but it was only really a marketing point. They didn't say anything about Jake Gyllenhaal being involved with it, but obviously at some stage, Nat had to get in touch with Jake and say, look, let's make a movie. <laughs> um, but genuinely, I don't... I don't completely understand how this sort of thing does happen. And it's really cool, though. Um, I also couldn't find a budget for this film, which is semi-noteworthy. Do you think it had an infinite budget? Do you think Jake opened up his pockets and he said, make me a hit? (laughs) Jake said, look, he sat down at family dinner and he said, Maggie, like, I'm making a movie with uh, Nat back in Oz and I was hoping you could pitch in some change. And she's like, have 20 grand. And then Screen Australia said... You know, we'll, we'll, we'll match put, it, <laughs> <laughs> but we can't go any higher than 20 grand. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Film funding. Interesting that this is... film was um, also all shot during the coronavirus lockdown, making it, yes. making good use of the fact that no one could leave the house and in, in the show. Yeah. Very effective creative filmmaking. So back to what I was saying, the other context I had. So like, actually I have nothing interesting to say about Jake Gyllenhaal and the Russo brothers, except that it's really interesting and it's cool. Um, I like when these actors become producers and I think it's a good way to give back to the community and it's good to see them, you know, supporting Australians. Agreed. Whatever whatever beef we have with Jake Gyllenhaal, I'm putting it aside for this film. I really like Jake Gyllenhaal personally, so... Really? Why? What movie? Well, like, I, I think Jake Gyllenhaal gives his all in a lot of films, which... Sport cliche gives 110%. But, like, he actually is interesting in pretty much everything he's in. Like, you know, he's he was done... good as Mysterio. He was good I as Donnie Darko. He was good as... Uh, um, he does do decent uh, films, eh? Hey? What else was he at? Nightcrawler? That was pretty good. Yeah. Um, that There's this art one on Netflix. I forget what it's called. Buzz, and he's pr- Buzz something. Have you yeah, seen it? Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah, I have seen it. And he has to be the best character in it. He actually gives a good performance in a pretty corny movie. Um so right, we're fans of Jake Gyllenhaal. Now you know. 
relic or the uh, discussion about the Gyllenhaal filmography. And I think we can't have a discussion about the Gyllenhaals without addressing the Dark Knight and how Katie Holmes becomes <laughs> Sister Gyllenhaal, Look, who I'm, is also I'm glad in you Donnie Darko. She's also in Donnie Darko as his sister, which is quite interesting because... Are they brother and sister, actually? This is a little... Yeah, this is a little known fact, but the Gyllenhaals are, in fact, related. That's cool because, you know, in Hollywood, sometimes they're not related. Mm, like, it makes me think of the age-old Hollywood example, which is Shaquille O'Neal and his brother, Jermaine O'Neal. Like, and the Wallace brothers, Rashid and Ben Wallace. And the uh, Russo brothers actually aren't related. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Film. So, other context that I had going. So, that's not, that's going to get cut completely, obviously. All right. Joe, can, okay. I'm just going through my list of what I want to talk about. Jack Gyllenhaal. Done. Next. Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> done. Next. Uh, Katie Holmes <laughs> in Batman Begins. Uh, yeah. So, other context I had going into this. Um, the only opinions I'd heard... Uh, were a lightly skimmed over film review from a friend. And I think they said it didn't, it wasn't as scary as they thought it could be. And it had a general, like, it had a good premise but didn't deliver sort of vibe. And then also from a script writing teacher, I got a similar sentiment that she thought it was pretty good, but it wasn't scary enough. So that was the context I went into it. But I suppose I knew that it wasn't going to be completely scary. I wasn't sure when I was going to do this in the discussion, but do you want to talk horror, like the genre? Let's do it. So this is where we, we like the temperatures rising. This is a, uh, we might be entering hot take territory. Hot take territory. Yeah. That's a new segment right. that hasn't been recorded. I can't believe haven't made a song for that one yet. That's hot bad. take territory. Um, hot take territory. couldn't like watching this film i was thinking about it being scary and or not scary like just about the idea of being scared of horror, horror movie and um who i was with amy my girlfriend she was like getting freaked out by the film like she'd be like no 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 and stuff like that and i was sort of like chill because i'm a i'm a cool guy like that you're a big boy yeah and like we've we've watched like not many horror movies together notably Unfriended on your first date. I know. We've all heard uh, the story. Unfriended on the first date, yes. Which is a really good movie, by the way. Maybe we'll have to do that. that, Check out my letterbox review. Um, But we also watch It and The Babadook. Um, So It is very jumpy, jump scary. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you? I have. Watched it on a plane. Yeah, very jump scary, very classic Hollywood scary movie. Babadook, on the other hand, is a much more nuanced and thematic horror movie but it is pretty scary as well right it's babadook australian it is i have not um so it's a good film but so the thing with horror is hot take territory to deliver um i don't know if i like horror i don't know if i think i can't help but feel like horror is kind of gimmicky right like i know i'm about to trigger horror fans but it well sorry so storytelling conventions should be the means to the end. You go into the genre to make your audience feel a certain way and tell a, like create a mood basically, right? But I think, I feel like a lot of horror is just trying to be scary. And like, um, 
when you think about horror, like every like a lot of filmmakers want to make horror movies because it sounds lots of fun. It's like, oh, we can use sound to manipulate the audience, camera angles, and oh, wouldn't this be scary and stuff like that. So I think everyone wants to make a horror movie because it sounds fun. But then the medium itself is sort of gimmicky to me because it's like, let's scare audiences. Um, and the point is sort of the scariness. And like, I can't help but sit in a horror film and be distracted by, like it really draws attention to the mediums of filmmaking, which distracts from the story for me. I find myself sitting there and going, oh, okay, you know, just breathe deeply or whatever. You're not going to, don't get yourself scared for this scene. And so I'm really meta aware of the fact that I'm watching a horror film. And ultimately, I think this undermines my opinion of horror. What do you think? So you're, you're saying you can't enjoy the film because you're too busy preventing yourself from being taken aback by a jump scare. <laughs> no, I just think that horror really draws attention to itself as a film filmmaking practice and using techniques, and it pulls me out of films. To be honest, like they wait. You, I feel like you waste a lot of storytelling time trying to scare the audience. Um. Yeah. Okay. So I think we. I mean, this is spoilers, or maybe not spoilers. Um. This film, I think. You probably either found this out by watching it or in your research or whatever about Tom's taking his shirt off on webcam for me. Um, that the film is meant to act as an allegory for like dementia. Did you come across that or not? I got that watching the film. Well, yeah. Okay. Um. So, I mean, I get what you're saying, but also, like, I think that this whole... I don't know if it's... It, to me, I'm not, it, I'm not, like, on the pulse, but to me, it feels like a new thing um, of these kind of horror, horror movies that seem to be really actually story-based. I guess, you know, the most successful example being, like, Get Out or, like, the Jordan Peele, Peele films or whatever. And then also those kind of A24 ones that have been coming out, which we'll definitely get to at some point. And um, so, yeah, and so I think, I don't know, it's kind of hard because I think generally I agree with you on, on the horror standpoint, but I also, I really like this sort of kind of movement that's going on and maybe it'll get old really quick and maybe it has gotten really old really quick. Um, but I do like the idea that you can use that sort of stuff to tell these stories and like maybe you're, you're overdoing it, but like these things are like really scary things in reality. I just think that's a really smart way of going about some stuff. Yeah, um, I also was going to like juxtapose that point by saying that I actually think this film used horror to make a better movie, though. That's what became apparent to me. Um, I think it was a creative take, as you sort of, as you acknowledged in those other films. I suppose I hadn't thought about Get Out, but like, um, to me, Get Out is kind of like about commercializing challenging ideas, sort of. Like, it's an exciting and fun film to watch, but it's also making you think. You know, I think it knows what it's doing in that way. Um, yeah. Okay. Whereas this film was successfully using horror to make you think about an issue in a different way. Yeah. Um, well, let's, you can get, get cracking on what you think about that. I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about it yet. What does the film mean? What do you think about it and how do you think it executed it? Yeah. So to me, I think... I think it's kind of obvious the film is about dementia. I think your interpretations of like what the symbolism means is obviously personal, but I'll tell you what I, what I saw. 
So um, I think it's about this process of losing someone you know to dementia and they become less and less like themselves and then sort of like the sinister nature in that and um, how like it is a, a negative disease and it's making someone sort of like less pure and less nice. So they're, they're being corrupted by something that's destructive, right? And like beyond their control. Yeah. Um, so I think t- for me, a, a, a reading that I had was at the end when they're like, oh, we well, don't care about spoilers. We're talking about a film, obviously. So they crawl out of the, the wall and then they start hitting the, the grandma with the lead pipe in. And I think that that was like some heavy themes that that was themes uh, cla- coming together with conventions in an exciting way, or in like a successful way, which was that you know you had this suspenseful build up right at the end, and then like the scary part, then they need to beat the mum with the the lead pipe in to stop her from attacking them. To me, that is like about the savagery, like you know the the really uncomfortable part where you have where you're you watch someone deteriorate and they're becoming someone they they don't know they're aware of being. Like they're possessed by dementia, they're they're losing their thoughts and their memories and their feelings, and then you get to this point where you like literally sort of want them to die because they're in suffering or they're in pain, they're not being themselves, and you need to to blatantly hit them with a pipe, you know. Like I think that was big, and then so she leaves, and they're supposed to leave the house or whatever, and then um, the the mum Kay can't bring this herself. This is the climax to, of the film for the yeah. Kay, <laughs> Kay can't yeah. leave her. Kay can't bring herself to to leave the mum, she goes back and then we have this emotional moment after it. So I think it's like the the challenging part of building yourself up to like wanting someone you love to die, not li- not like evilly, but in an emotional sense, like, you know, it's time for them to check out. And then you go back and you're with them and they've had all this horror in them and like transformation. And yet at the end of the day, she peels off the skin and she's just a human. She's just vulnerable. And there's just like three generations of them together laying down in that shot where you see them in mid from above and they're cuddling and it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of regress to this like vulnerable state that is, um, that requires nurturing. Yeah. The end of the film is definitely the best part of the film. I think that that last shot you're talking about is really awesome. Um, it's, it's pretty emotional and, um, just it's really good to look at as well, and like the whole scene of her stripping away the skin, I think is really powerful and really good. Um, I think the whole thing is this this theme. To me, my issue with it is the fact that it kind of it, it's a bit too close to what's actually going on in the story for it to be like a, a like a an effective theme or allegory, in my opinion. In that. Obviously, what's happening to her represents dementia, but then to me, like the plot of the film, it seems like they're all concerned about her having dementia anyway. So it's kind of like, it, it, I don't know. It, to me, it just feels like you're, you're, tr- you're treading too close to the source material in that sense for it to be effective representation. I mean, for it to be as powerful, in my opinion. And then, I don't know. Do, what do you think of that? Yeah, I don't think I agree um, because I think sort of the whole point is this is a film about dementia as told through a horror perspective. And again, this is contra- like contradictory to what I roasted other horror films for, but I, it's a new media. It's using the horror medium to look at this, these issues in a different light. And that's why it's so closely tied because it's like 
this is sort of a filmic debate or discussion, but it's like, like, what do you think a film's trying to do? And you can answer in a second, but first, what I think. <laughs> what I think. <laughs> Let's just get the important stuff out of the way. I have a lot of, I have a lot of sentence starters that go like this. <laughs> Let me tell they're you. All, they're, they're all rhetorical questions. <laughs> <laughs> so here's why you're wrong, right? Um, so I think that... We were going to edit uh, out my answer anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> a film isn't actually about the plot. A film is actually about the story and the themes. It's a, f- a film is trying to take you to a place that you wouldn't have gone without seeing the plot that you just witnessed, right? So in something like this, dementia, you, you could put in a drama in a sad film and you could have the mum turning on them and feel sorry for the daughter and the granddaughter and basically you could have the same scenes but then this is adding an edge to it by making it horror and making there this uncertainty and the scariness and it's going like have you thought about how sort of like disturbing dementia is and how um it's going to be like how like it's sort of accentuating the the emotional bumps of going through the dementia process you know it's like um it's going it's really sad when it's sad it's really scary when it's scary it's it's just, yeah. So I think that in relation to how I like, I'm starting to think about films, it's that, you know, as long as you get taken there and as long as you're thinking thoughts that you hadn't thought before seeing this film, it's succeeded in that sense. And that's why it's fine for it being close, like for dementia being literal and still not so subtextual in this film. Yeah, but I mean, like if you, I mean, that's a good answer for sure. But do you, don't you agree like stuff like the notes and all that sort of thing, like the post-it notes left around the house, they're all just kind of like, you know, in the horror medium. I guess my point is like, because it's a horror film, it's like setting it up for these things to have greater weight than what they are, but they're, they're, their weight in context of the allegory is just the same thing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I wonder if my a perspective was shifted to allow me to enjoy this more by no, like by thinking it wasn't going to be completely scary. You know what I mean? Um, because, and, but maybe it also comes back to my whole thing that I've already said. That's like, I want to watch a film that's emphasizing meaning maybe than the plot. So I was happy. Like I wasn't let down by it not being scary. I was, I didn't say that. I'm just saying uh, it doesn't need to be scary. I mean, like it, uh, to me, the, it doesn't work as well. I think what makes like the horror movie, horror movies, a really good way of storytelling is the fact that you you have these kind of two. Um, I like it in films like Get Out, for example, when they're like, there's the underlying kind of what they're trying to get at, what the emotional core of it is, and then there's like the horror movie, and they're running at parallels to to, to one another. And this one like tangled over a, a lot. Yeah. So how would you have done it different to help me understand? How would I have done it different? I haven't thought about that. Maybe I'll get back to you later in the episode. But I think that, I don't know. Uh, I guess maybe the issue is I I didn't think the characters were maybe fleshed out as well as they could have been and all that sort of stuff. So I wasn't um, invested in in that sense. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like the whole, the three generations is really great. I think that's a, a really good idea. Especially, you know, like that last scene where she pulls it back and her mum's got the, the disease as well. That's really powerful. So, I, I really like that whole setup. I think that's really good. Um, 
I think that the the kind of dynamic between the mum and the daughter, Kay and whatever the daughter's name is. Uh, actually, her name is We actually have that on Sam. file. Yeah, hey, let's, let's back, pull it up. Let, let's get the assistant to ring it up. Hey, just make sure you edit that in. So, <laughs> give me the setup again. The daughter. Sam. Played by <laughs> Bella Heathcote. Um, so, yeah, I think like so like the relationship between the mother... Um, Kay and Sam I think was pretty generic you know like the story was are you gonna go back to uni and I'm like look we've all been there we all all know that feeling (laughs) yeah I had that we all did it we all did a science degree and then took two years off we've all been there I had that highlighted as a lame line that I want to talk about quote so what you're gonna just work at a bar the rest of your life (laughs) like Script generator, control C, control V, sure. It's like, uh, no, mum, I'm going to start a podcast with my brother. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Um, this is the dream. I uh, So, let, just to something you touched on before, you said the notes, you didn't like the notes. Is that fair to say? I didn't, I didn't not like them. I just wish they had some sort of life in the horror context. Be like... Here's, here's what I mean. The notes are all there and they talk about the notes and they go, the notes, you know, you're leaving all these post notes around, blah, blah, blah. And it, I mean, if the notes were there and they weren't like talking about it in the script, I think it would work as a cool world building thing or something like that. But they, they make reference to it and it doesn't seem to, ex- I think for it to be successful, it needs to exist in the horror context where there's something fucking terrifying going on for all these people and in the context of this other story. You know what I mean? But the notes had no meaning beyond the allegory of dementia. Like, they didn't make sense yeah, for this. Yeah. Do you know what well, I mean? Because they talked about, like, someone being there or something like that. Like, it, I'm, like I'm going to go had... get another beer. Do you want... Um, give me two. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want one? Yeah, man. Do you want a beer? <laughs> All right, you got to hold the audience over while I get a beer. Just work on that thought. So, uh, now that it's just you, the podcast listeners, and I, what should I get up to? Um... I suppose this. I could sing for you. I could uh, hit a few original notes. I could do uh, a bit of slam poetry, a bit of slow motion. You know it's me. Uh, yeah, but I just wanted to say thanks for listening to the podcast. We really listen. We really appreciate the extensive, like the great feedback we got for our first episode. So I was talking about how I didn't think the post-it notes existed effectively between the two worlds. Yeah. So yeah, there is that sort of allusion to like a slender man where she's like, it's coming or it's getting closer or something like that on the post-it notes. Um, But if we're ragging on the post-it notes, let me defend them because I think they delivered one of the most poignant moments when they, when daughter, whose name is (laughs) Sam played by, Bella Heathcote um, is going through the corridors and she sees the note that says, you are loved. Like, or I am loved. Like, that, that hit home for me. Because you like, are for loved. real. No, but like, I don't know. It's just really sad in that context of dementia. And after that scene in the field earlier where she's all sad, and mm. like this idea that if you're sick with dementia and you literally need reminding that you are loved, plus the emotional weight of you know, all these people love you and you're dying. That's really sad. So 
the post-it notes, I can't completely, like, you know, I can't completely allow you to rag on them savagely. Oh, I'm going to rag. I'm going to rag. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anyway, that was a really good moment. I liked that. That took me to a sad place in a horror movie, in an intense scene, and that was good. Okay, so I guess what we're working out is I think that the horror, and, like, I know you've we've had this disclaimer about it not being scary or something, but my critique of it as a horror film is they're not is not coming from a place of it not being scary enough, but more coming from a place of it needing to exist as its own thing. I mm. think for it to be effectively to be an effective allegory, um, and I just think I think yeah maybe the horror thing didn't feel like it was as thought out as it could, as it should have been. I guess to be. Cause like for example, there's that whole part of the of the film where where Sam gets lost in the house. Yeah, you know what I mean. Which to me doesn't make much. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something, but that doesn't seem like an effective. Uh, yeah, what do you think that is about? Yeah. Um, first of all, production wise, I thought it was really well done. At least you got to say that. Um, at the start, it was like they were just doing double shots or whatever. Like, just finding corridors and matching them to the last corridor. But then, like, it really did feel like major props that it felt like this whole other room and stuff like that and the walls were closing in. I think it was really cool visually, basically. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, In terms of, like, what it meant, I suppose the only... Like, I was talking about this with uh, my parents, your parents. (laughs) My my parents were there as well? (laughs) Um, like, I, I couldn't figure out what the, the hallway actually meant. Uh, my only guess at it was that it's like maybe the daughter, that was a, a visualization of the granddaughter understanding how the grandma felt. Like, it was her going, yep. imagine if you were lost. Oh, your own house wouldn't even make sense. Oh, I would feel like endless corridors. It's like you would describe that scene to someone for what dementia feels like or something like that. So the daughter, the granddaughter was going through that to uh, gain empathy and make the audience feel empathy in that way. Then why did she try and leave? Why did she say, Mom, it's not gran? Yeah, I don't know. And then it's she not like, gran. And then she breaks her legs. <laughs> and <it's> like, <laughs> she fucking breaks her legs. <laughs> Jesus. You got to put some So much for empathy. <laughs> Um, ah, I, yeah, so corridor, I can't really answer, um, but it was cool. You know what I mean? Like, isn't it weird that the movie's an hour and a half as well? Like, Did that's such a short film. Sh- I think it felt... It short. felt longer than an hour and a half to me. Quam but I suppose it, it's, be- it's not a qualm, it's just is, like, um... You're the man yeah. who wanted to cut... Cut time off boogie nights. God damn. <laughs> Look, Relic was good, but it should really only it's go for half ten. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, breaking breaking bones, breaking legs on that. Uh, it, it it sort of addressed like the uncomfortableness of getting old, which is like the non beautiful stuff. Your your skin's peeling. Like she wets herself on the floor. Like I thought that stuff was represented well. That it's like someone gets old and it's it's ugly, unfortunately, and like especially you get that juxtaposition because there's the next two generations down, and you know the granddaughter looks young and fit, and then the grandma is all old and tangled hair and stuff like that. Um, 
I suppose like sort of talking about this, some of this stuff, it's like, I appreciated it, but I can also sort of admit that it's not nuanced genius stuff. It is just, it's good stuff. If that makes sense. Like, it's not like she's the first person to do body horror or, you know, like gross stuff, but it just worked. Like it's, it's sort of obvious, but it just worked for me. Like the post-it notes that was sort of obvious, but it just worked for me. What do you All think right. on that? Um, do I think it worked for you? In terms of, I suppose this is addressing like the allegory stuff and the literalness in the, in the plot. Like there's stuff that I guess it works for my theory of how a film's supposed to, to go. Like if it, if it takes you to that place, it was successful. And those sort of things were successful for me. Yeah. So I guess, but it, that, but that's still, I guess only half for me, that's only half of the film being successful. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, you know, we all know those. So you're like, it could have been. Lupe, those Lupe Fiasco songs with, with really fucking good lyrics, but then, but then the beat. Then Matthew Santos comes in and, and then he takes it home. Yeah. I mean, that's still only half a good song. You know, we can't. If you're waiting for Matthew Santos to come back into the song, you're not listening to Lupe. You just so. Streets. Oh. Yeah, let's talk about the scariness, more literally. Um, what, so, what, what's a thing in a horror film, right? In my limited scope, you know, my opinions aren't worth anything. Don't watch that many horror films. Basically because they're all not good, as decided by me before. Um, no, but, like, horror does this thing where it's, like, it's a, ty- it's a ticking thing, like, the plot progresses by getting closer to the where people are dying closer to the core character, right? So in a film where there are only three characters, what was interesting about it was um, the countdown timer in this film. So like, it's like, you know, day one, the setup, day two, they got through the night, no one died. And then the grandma turned home. Day three, things got a bit worse. Day four and stuff like that. What do you think about that as a convention and as a medium? Like, because... I suppose what's interesting is that there's actually no real horror till the end. Do you mean horror all, in the sense of gore and creature fear or whatever? Yeah, confronting danger. I don't know that's what creature fear, creature fear means, but... Like, yeah. Was, was, that, was that successful for you? Was it boring for you? Because maybe it's boring if you don't actually get payoff of the horror elements till so late. Um... I liked it. I thought that was all fine. I just felt a bit, I guess, let down about the horror stuff at the end, maybe. I thought that the thing about making a horror film is like you're going to put in things that you that are trying to build tension and suspense. Mm. And I think when you're doing a, a high concept or low concept horror film, whichever one is the correct film school term, um, you have an issue when you're putting stuff in for horror's sake and then it's not part of the resolution of that, or it doesn't mean something at the end. Maybe that's mm. me overthinking it. Yeah. But I think that for it to be about dementia, it, like stuff needs to be, I don't know. So like, let's the house, what do you think the house means in it? Cause obviously the, the, the front stained glass window thing means something. Yeah. Um, so the house to me is just about how like, a house can feel a lot different based on the mental state of the person in it. And like they go into Gran's house, which should be like a happy place. 
but as she deteriorates, it's suddenly scary and disorganized. And like, I thought it was cool that the, the plague was growing on the walls and no one acknowledged it, you know, like it was, you weren't sure if it was in the world or just like a flourish sort of thing. Um, but having said that, I suppose one of my big criticisms, um, I don't know if we can call it a qualm because I'm not quite picking nits. Like it's literally just, it's kind of like a blanket criticism. Like I, I don't really get like the, the great grandpa stuff. Like I sort of get that they're like, you know, he got dementia and no one helped him and that's really grim and spooky. Really but then grim. like, <laughs> but, but like, you know, what did the transporting the mirror to the front of the house mean? Like there was no payoff for that. Um, and yeah, just like her dreams of the grandpa were just sort of scary for scary sake and they didn't mean anything to the plot. And the drawing, like she pulls out the book of her, uh, dad, I think, no, her husband, I think's drawings. And it's like, they're, they're sort of very mechanical just to go, well, that's, oh, well, here's a scary thing that happened next door. The dad is drawing, I mean, sorry, the husband, the deceased husband is, is it, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe that's like meant to be like a visual representation of it coming on or whatever or something. To me, that's like in a horror film where they address the myth explicitly, you know, they're telling you the rules of the horror. They're like, oh, this clown first appeared in our town back in 1930, but people didn't believe it. And then those kids went missing and by the lake. You know what I mean? Like that's normally where you like set the wheels in motion for how you're going to defeat the horror sort of thing. And you're saying they didn't effectively do that. Yeah, there was no payoff. Like it was I quite. I agree. It was quite blatantly doing horror for horrors, horror conventions for horrors conventions sake. Mate, we are speaking the same bloody language. Film school language. Oh yeah. <laughs> Because I couldn't, I couldn't draw any. Like, I couldn't draw heaps of meaning for what that whole side story kind of did. Besides suggesting that there was actually a demon. I'm with you. It was pretty spooky when she came down the stairs and there's the shadow thing. That was well done, but narratively it didn't make sense. And also the opening. What's with the opening? <laughs> like What's they talk. Opinion? They it's the Christmas lights thing where she's made the bath run over, and then. Like, they talk about it later on, so there's payoff in that sense, but it doesn't really do anything besides just being sort of weird. Like, it made me think of Midsummer and the Midsummer opening, which the is Midsummer creepy. Midsummer opening is awesome. And Do you good. Not think it's good. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. The, the, well, the music kicks in and the visuals are just like in Midsummer. Okay, maybe this is actually is this sort a Midsummer of. Midsummer Cod Podcast. <laughs> everything comes How back good to 2024. <laughs> um, yeah, so I suppose. That is a good reference because in Midsummer, obviously it narratively functions, but it also does a good job of being real spooky and getting you in a headspace of, oh, this is so awful. Yeah, that's awful. fucked. That's like and, the worst part of the film, really. Yeah, because you do see things, right? Like, uh, maybe you don't see things, but I've got imagery cut into my head. So it's spooky, right? But in this film, it just sort of opens there and it doesn't really do anything. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. So that's the thing. I maybe due to the stingy pockets of Jake Gyllenhaal, um, <laughs> the film was 
I don't know, maybe like you're making a film like this and you have to do these horror things because like you can't sell your film to people on stand with it. Oh, I mean, I don't know. Do you it's, know what I mean? Like, a, it just seemed like it was, it's a marketability decision. Maybe you know, like it, it did yeah. tick a lot of horror things for no other reason, I think, than be, the fact that they decided it was going to be a horror film. You know, but I think yeah, what I, we're saying is that it, the 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 good part of the film isn't the horror thing, and I think that's mm. probably the general consensus is the horror part falls maybe a bit flat, mm. but the concept I think is pretty good, and I think well, what the casting is pretty good as well, so. Yeah, I suppose it's it's interesting because it does get stuck between two things. Maybe it should be scarier or maybe it should have been a drama. Is that what you're suggesting? I just think that more effort should have been made to connect them, you know? Yeah. The horror thing was sort of false leads in a, in a frustrating way. Correct. But the, but the horror stuff that paid off was good, I would say. Like the visual stuff and the peeling of the skin, stuff like that was good, right? Yeah, but that's, but like, you know, you could have, a, this film could be a drama and that could fucking happen and it could be a really great scene anyway. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's not right. essential for it to the, being a horror film. That's not necessarily that connected. So I want to talk about the progression of the grandma <laughs> to um, track how uh, just some, some conventional, like some functional story stuff and then talk about a scene that I really liked. So the grandma is introduced first of all uh, as you know an idea. You don't you haven't seen her in the current tense, and the daughter's chasing her. Then she's introduced and she's kind of uh, scratched up and looking a bit dishevelled, and then she's normal again, and you're like happy that she's there. So then they sort of have a few positive scenes with her, where the granddaughter and the the daughter's getting along, and it's there's a bit of tension. You don't know what's going to happen. Then. It, the grandma gives the granddaughter a ring and then the ne- then the grandma does the heel turn when she like wrestles for the ring back and like bruises the daughter after having a tender moment because she forgot that she gave the ri- daughter the ring. So then functionally, we don't like the grandma, right? The, one of the most important scenes is where the grandma runs into the field and starts eating the photos. So I really like this scene because they'd set us up to... To like the grandma, then not like the grandma, but then it's it's this moment of empathy where you feel sorry for the grandma, and she has there's this real sense of difference between her evil self and her normal self. Um, and what I liked about it was that it made you feel sorry for her, and it kind of like literalized the idea that going through dementia isn't fun, like it's scary. And I thought that was really good. You know, she's like, uh, "Where is everyone?" Um, and the mum's like, we're right here. And like, she seems really lost. And like, I felt really sorry for her. And I think it was a well done scene. And in the middle of the field, it was sort of a good look. Cause it was like the, the trees were dark around them. And then the light was clearing through. So it's got sort of got this like ethereal thing and it's a bit weird. Um, and then yeah, eating the photos is really sad. what do you think? So like, yeah, I want to take I mean, this opportunity I- to bring up a note that I had here. Um, the note says joke about Monster House. So what I wanted to say was <laughs> I really enjoyed that Relic embraced the fact that it was pretty much a shot-for-shot shot remake of Monster House. The Steven Spielberg executive executive produced uh, horror kids film, which was transcendent at the time. And look, if Relic teaches us anything overall, it's that it held up. It also teaches us you can't 
recast Steve Buscemi in anything because your film's going to be a big failure. So, yeah. so another thing I liked was when the mum's in bed and the daughter's talking to her and the mum's all scared and she's like, it's here, can you check for it? And then she's like, what, what do you mean? And she's like, it's under the bed. So like obviously at an explicit level, it's referencing that thing that uh, when you're a kid, you're scared of something under the bed. So then the mum has to, you know, the mum does it for the child. And so then it's like tracing that arc that when someone gets old, they regress back to being infant-like and needing care. And so the grandma's like sort of losing her, I don't know, not esteem, but like uh, capability. <laughs> and it's sad in that sense. And then I think point. that's actually, that's, that's a good, good sort of horror horror scene as well. Like I think it pays off. In, like it's a teaser in a good way and it actually is a good version of that where like you see something sort of but you don't and then like you don't need to get the context of that and then is the there grandma some, like is go. there some underlying thing about the fact that she kind of sees this thing a bunch of times and doesn't ignore it as well like is it about the like willful blindness you have to i guess seeing some, this happen to someone maybe mm. maybe yeah i think i think it's about like the the like the pre- the idea that there's a presence that is interrupting your relationship with someone when someone's going through dementia right it's like it's not them but it's not not them like you know the thing between them being themselves and being normal is this other thing it's this other person it's this evil spirit that's like corrupting them so i, I actually do like that stuff about the film um and that that horror stuff does work for me like when the person's in the shadows creeping out and she sees the mum, I actually think that works because that scene's not really doing much in a horror film without someone creeping in the shadows, even though there's no payoff for it. Um, so I think like it's sort of like the, the grand sweeping gestures of horror that don't pay off are bad. The little instances are good, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah. The ideas of horror that are bigger than the film, like this haunted cottage thing that doesn't really pay off and the drawings and stuff, the the idea of this big horror thing isn't good, but then what the film successfully is improved by horror is the moments of tension and the moments of looking at a scene differently, awkwardly, in a scared light because there is the horror conventions being used, like the scary music and the scary imagery. But can't you make this film and it be like not trying as hard to be a horror film but also be like scary you know what i mean like you don't need to be a horror film to be scary um like what well i don't have one i'm just (laughs) maybe there exists one hypothetically (laughs) hypothetically speaking normally you you can get goofy but you don't get scary you know what i mean but you can be unsettling you know what i mean i suppose so maybe there's a reason like why how, I'm on this side of the laptop, and I'm. It's, a, the it's like how show. the dog the dog dies in every Wes Anderson film, and it's like really yeah. uncomfortable mm. and really scary. <laughs> I just don't like it. I don't like being brought back to a world where a dog, where dogs can die. That's just yeah, not um, a good time. Watched, oh, this is our first Wes Anderson reference. Ring the bell. <laughs> Everything I see is in stop motion. Everyone's in a play And it's symmetrical I watched uh, Wonder Which is An Owen Wilson film Anyway, the dog dies in it 
The dog <laughs> dies in it, and it's like, <laughs> like this guy cannot that, catch a break. Yeah, his dogs keep dying. <laughs> you don't want to be an Owen Wilson dog, because <laughs> like <laughs> everything that's like Royal Tenenbaums, the dog dies, and it's oh, like, yeah, God. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't what Owen Wilson? Doesn't he voice Marmaduke or something? In, in a... <laughs> Owen the Dog Killer Wilson. <laughs> I'm just—I don't know why people aren't talking about this enough. Yeah, this is this got a blow. Owen Wilson owning dogs needs to be cancelled. So another thing I want to talk about is it comes at night and how it relates to this film, because bullshit fucking film. Because <laughs> basically, in my opinion, Relic is better than Relic is a good version of It Comes at Night to me. Play on that. I Suck think on that. <laughs> suck eggs. Is that from Harry Potter? What's suck eggs from? <laughs> the Australian Harry Potter. Suck eggs, <laughs> mate. Suck eggs, mate. <laughs> Were you running around telling people to suck eggs at school? <laughs> yeah, all the time. Hmm. Nothing shut a bully up quicker than telling them to suck <laughs> eggs. I think that maybe they're inverses in that. What does a bully say? I want to do a bit here. <laughs> What does a bully say? Shut uh, up, dork. And you're like, suck eggs. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to be the bigger man here. You, you're going you're gonna to get out of high school. You, you, you can just suck eggs. And you're, you're going to be working for me one day. And then you'll be sucking eggs. <laughs> I think that... Sorry. I think that it comes at night has the inverse issue in that... Well, like I would say that this film has a really good ending. I think it's the best part of the film. It comes yeah. at night, has no fucking ending, but like the whole horror and or tension cool or whatever is really well done. Which would you rather make? Would you rather have made It Comes at Night or Relic? Oh, Relic, because Relic you, can't is watch, you can't watch It Comes at Night and not crack the shits. Like. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I think the reason my mind goes to it is because they're both sort of abusing the horror genre in different ways, right? Like, I actually think so. I, in case I haven't made it clear, I think that it. uh, No, I actually think the horror in this film is good. I think we've throughout this podcast we've discussed things that shouldn't have been there, and that a horror like a misuse in horror, and like there moments when horror is controlling the film rather than the film's using horror, right? Um, but then it actually, I actually like the horror. The fact that this is a horror movie is good to me. I know you haven't necessarily completely agree with that, but I like that this film is a horror and I think it delivers well and it makes you think about issues in a different way because of the horror. Um, as opposed to, say, It Comes at Night, which, like, it like it got used by horror rather than it using horror because, like, the premise and the promise of the film is all horror-related and then there's no payoff, Right? Basically, it comes at night. It's a really frustrating film because it's really well made. The world and the stuff is really good, but then the uh, the finale is not good. So, but I don't know. Does this not like annoy you in some degree that there's this kind of fresh way of using horror films, and then everyone's I guess is like jumping on this bandwagon of doing it and no. not being equipped to do it a hundred percent of no. the way. I think it's not like why don't they leave it to the auteurs the 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 Kubricks of the world, Tom. This is modern horror, maybe. I don't know. We're talking a lot about something we know nothing about. Is this modern <laughs> everything, where everything means something else, and if you just say it does? No, I heard. A, I I read a good quote today. Information is irrelevant. 
It's just irrelevant now. That's it. Information is irrelevant. It's just irrelevant now. The quote yes. had a had a <laughs> stutter in. <laughs> Suck eggs, okay. <laughs> this is our new segment. Suck eggs. <laughs> this has been the uh, Suck Egg Seconds. Thanks to. So I, that point really didn't go as well as I wanted it to. I wanted to talk about It Comes at Night and have like good insight, but I don't really. To it Comes at Night or to whatever you were getting? The relationship at. between Relic and It Comes at Night. I mean, to me, they're just related in the fact that they both don't 100% pull off this the ideas that they promise. Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's it. So another thing. They were pretty sensible horror characters. They turned the light on when they went into a dark place. I thought I that as that. well. I thought that as well, man. Mm. What about the scene where the um, the granddaughter goes next door and talks to the dad? Like, I feel and like it was shot outside. completely. That was weird. Yeah, yeah, completely different. It was like, you know, a life insurance ad. <laughs> um, final, final comment. Final thing I wanted to address before we wrap it up. Uh. On the IMDb character cast page. I just want to talk uh, about that scene a bit more quickly because that's very funny. I thought it was very funny as well. In that, so imagine this hypothetical scenario. You go to the next door neighbor and you knock on the door and you go to the son. Can I speak to your dad? And the dad comes to the front door and then they have a conversation for 60 seconds and they walk to the end of the yard yeah, and he goes, yeah, I better go. <laughs> let's take a walk. <laughs> um, yeah. So just the final thing I want to address. On the IMDb character page, the uh, police officer who was in it for all of 50 seconds or something. He was great. Is list- I thought he was good as well. He was listed as Constable Mike Adler. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else, Kay, Edna, Sam, Alex, Jamie, Grace, Constable Mike Adler. <laughs> oh, well. Maybe he had like a thing on the table that had his name. Mm. Or he had a backstory that got cut completely. <laughs> I like the idea of making films that have like six people in it. I think that's pretty cool. All right, that's definitely the alarm. <laughs> oh, God. So, countdown. Tom, what did you like? What worked for you? What worked for me was when the film was firing on its horror as a device for making you think about dementia in a different light. Um, I think the stuff about the skin peeling away and falling off and just like having spookiness in scenes that might not have had a spookiness frame normally was good. Um, I liked that, uh, yeah, I suppose we've said it before, but I like when the film used horror to make you see the plot in a different light. What would you change? What would I change? I would cut out the false promises that did not pay off, such as the the cabin in the woods. Like symbolically, like as a symbol, it um, you know, it was spooky and stuff, but narratively, and it didn't really have much meaning. Um, I suppose there are a few loose threads of horror that uh, didn't have payoff and sort of didn't need to be in the film, maybe. All right, what is the final verdict? So I I actually did like, really like this movie as much as we've talked about it. I think it's a film I would recommend to watch to someone um, because I think it's interesting and it has it has a place, like it it is my de facto horror movie on dementia. But um, 
yeah, I like the film basically, and I think it's got some good thinking points that it provokes in its viewers. So, having said this, um, I am left wondering if I'd like to watch the film again. Like, would it fall uh, flatter knowing that the horror stuff won't pay off, or will it be more meaningful focusing on the the character relationships? To be honest, I think it could be less entertaining on a second watch. So, with these things in mind, I am giving the film a 3 out of 5. Yep. I feel pretty similar. I guess I didn't like it as much as you. Um, I definitely thought it was it was pretty it was good, but I can't ever I can't really see myself watching it. I would definitely like watch another film that she directed. I think that it kind of shows promise, I guess. Mm. Um but yeah, so I mean, I can't see myself revisiting it. I'm going to give it a two and a half. Well, that's the timer. God, it only felt like one hour and 20 minutes. God, this that- was supposed to be a lot quicker than Boogie Nights and it was longer than... <laughs> I don't know. How, how long was the Boogie Nights? Boogie Nights was probably this long. I think we were good though. We were firing. We were specific. We've got to wrap up the show before you praise yourself. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. Let's plug ourselves. Follow at Little Silky on Instagram, at Good Brother on at I'm Good Brother on Instagram. It's Little Silky Official on Instagram. It's a private account. If I don't know you, I probably won't follow you back. <laughs> so sucks to suck eggs. <laughs> As we always like to say on this show. Um, and so make sure you look up Shoulders Good Brother music video <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> And not the one with the Indian guy. It's the sad boy with the inflatable crown. All right. uh, This has been Ego Hour. Suck eggs. Suck eggs. And another classic. It's been another classic. Another classic. Or a fresh one. If we knew what we wanted, you'd be useless. Tell us what's in. Tell us who's.